Welcome to DC Sports Talk. I'm your host, Zach Lubar. I'm a high school athlete that interviews athletes, professionals, and anybody connected to sports in the DC area and beyond. On this week's show, I'll be chatting with Michael Gibson, a coach who has worked with some of the country's top high school, college, and professional baseball players. He was drafted by the Chicago Cubs in 1993 and, and has trained members of the Nationals for four years. Michael, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. So with everything that's going on with COVID-19, coronavirus, and uh, how it's affecting baseball and all that, what are, what are your opinions on that and how it's changed high school, college, and professional baseball in their seasons? Well, I can def- definitely tell you this, that this is truly a deadly virus. Um, it has put everyone's life on hold. And in terms of high school, college, and professional um, baseball, um, first of all, I believe that we should take every precaution to make everyone safe. However, I believe that there are some things that we could do better to make sure that the game that we all love is not taking away from us and that these athletes can still develop while um, living in a pandemic. Um, So my opinions would be as long as we're safe, we can move forward with training as long as we limit the capacities of people in the area and um, during the games that are being played. Definitely. Um, so you're currently coaching the Mid-Atlantic Red Sox, so uh, which is a high school, a, a baseball program that uh, has a bunch of different age, ages from 14, 13, whatever, middle schoolers to high schoolers. What uh, precautionary uh, steps are you guys doing as a program to make sure the kids stay safe? Well, the, the last tournament we've actually went to, um, there were no fans allowed in the stadium. Um, We played at actually in Alabama in the SEC sports complex where the SEC championship is being held, but no fans were allowed to attend the games. And actually before that, we actually uh, went to the Virginia sports complex and the same rules applied. I think that that precaution in itself uh, would definitely not cause harm to the ball players as well as the umpires and people that are involved with the game. Um, in terms of gameplay, we were not allowed to touch the baseballs. At least the coaches could not throw the baseballs in um, from the dugout um that had to be handled through the officials and things like that um so little things like that do matter um so those are some of the precautions that were taken also at the end of the game we did not do high fives or shake hands or whatever the case may be we just waved hands at each other and made our way off the field mm-hmm. yeah it's, it's crazy um so, I mean, we're, we're in the D.C. area pretty much, so D.C., Maryland, Virginia. But uh, your tournaments are played down south. So, like, uh, I've heard a lot – I haven't been uh, recently, but I've heard a lot about how it's a lot less strict down there. Like, people are – there's a lot of contact. People aren't really wearing masks or anything. Is that true or not as much? Well, it depends where you go. So, 
on the field of play, the umpires have waived their right to not wear masks, and obviously the players are not wearing masks. Um, however, there are fans wearing masks, um, and generally a lot of scouts. Um, college coaches really can't be there right now because there's a dead period, but um, a lot of pro scouts are wearing masks. Um, in restaurants, the you know um, waitresses and waiters are wearing masks as well as the bartenders and things like that. However, the customers are not. Um, when you go into a convenience store, you, you're really not apt to wear a mask. However, the people who are working in the store are wearing them. So uh, people across the country are still taking precautions in terms of not touching other people, maintaining their six feet of distance, and wearing masks, especially when they're serving other people. Um, obviously, you know when you're parent playing sports and in terms of breathing, in terms of running on and off the field, you really can't wear a mask. But, uh, you know, I really believe that people uh, feel like um, things are changing for the better, although, you know, they have spike cases, but they are still being a little... Um, apprehensive about things. Uh, I don't want to say like it's a free-for-all, like they're down there living like a normal life because that isn't the case at all. Interesting. So, um, you know, I'm going to transition a little bit into your baseball career. So in high school, so you started playing probably at a young age. So when do you, when did you know that you were good enough to play past high school and even past college? Well, I believe um, your mind uh, starts that at an early age once you begin having success against your peers. Um, I grew up in New York, New Jersey area, um, and I grew up uh, playing a sport called stickball. And what I didn't realize is that this sport teaches such a supreme um, coordination of hand and eye that I was excelling at. Um, with a tennis ball and a broomstick. And uh, I could do that successfully well, although I have not played the game of baseball. So when we moved from New York City to New Jersey, a place called Teaneck, New Jersey, um, I started becoming more accustomed to Little League. And I'll never forget my first time being out at a Little League field and them handing me a bat and me going, I need to hit this with that ball. I knew I was going to be successful. <laughs> so my first hit, I mean, I think I hit it out of the park because it was just so easy. I was like, this game, this is a game. <laughs> and because I was so active, um, you know, in the streets of New York, uh, you know, running and being athletic, was not a problem for me. Now, don't get me wrong. You know, you got to have some genetic disposition there in terms of, you know, being handed down genes that has fast twitch muscle fiber. But um, once someone taught me the rules of the game, and I had to be honest with you, I've been used to catching a tennis ball with my left hand. So when you put a glove on my hand, it became a joke. Like, I'm like, you're giving me another aid to become good? Are you kidding me? So um, I started playing catch every day, and I'll never forget, I had a um, 
a funny Jewish coach. It, it, not that it matters if he's Jewish, but he was so loving and so inspiring for me and welcoming me in into this group of kids that look nothing like me. And he saw a talent in me and he just let it shine. He pitched me, he hit me, he put me in center field when the best hitter was up so I could catch the ball. I mean, it was it was an amazing experience for me. And then I actually let the game go a little bit and we moved down here to Maryland and that's when it really started to blossom. And uh, believe it or not, you know, I've never shared this with you. I only played one year of high school baseball. And really? yeah, and um, a scout by the name of Mike Toomey saw me play. And um, he goes, where have you been? Jesus, I can't believe you play like this. Um, I remember hitting a triple. I was playing American Legion baseball. And I had the longest swing in the world. I remember hitting a ball in the right center gap. And um, I remember quite vividly when I reached home, because it was inside the park home run, they timed me. And he said, that's the fastest time I've seen an 11th grader run around the bases. It's the fastest time. And um, I remember... You know, every tournament I was in in American Legion, they would have me fill out these pro information cards. And um, it's nothing like it is now in terms of social media and things like this, um, where, you know, they can stream you and watch you play right now, where they actually had to physically come to the game and assess us with their eyes. It was called you had to pass an eye test. And every time they would come, I would pass this eye test. And then they started doing these huge, like, cross-checker tryout camps where, like, 130, 150 kids would show up. And you would run the 60-yard dash. You would, you know, throw across the infield or from the outfield, and then you would hit. So it would take literally all day. I mean, you would get there at, like, 8 o'clock in the morning and wouldn't leave until you know, 10 o'clock at night. <laughs> I mean, it was just that long. So once I started getting that type of attention, I knew something would be special in my future. And um, it just happened to turn out that way that I got a chance to play a little bit of ball. That's it. So, so why did you only play one year of high school? What were you doing uh, the other three years? Well, I was actually a state um, track athlete. Where, as I told you before, um, growing up in New York City, I ran a lot. So we were running on the street, actually seeing who's the fastest in the neighborhood. <laughs> that actually transpired to the track. So, um, as you know, self-esteem is huge in high school. And that's where I was getting my praise from because of how fast I was. Um, I also played football as well. I was also a wide receiver and a quarterback. But most of my success um, was on the track. And um, I was running in state meets in ninth and 10th grade. And I, I went to something called the Penn Relays at a very young age, running against the top runners in the world. Um, and uh, once you get to that event, you really find out how fast you really are. 
and uh, how fast you're not. <laughs> you know, like there's some really um, high profiled elite athletes in this world and they start at a very young age. Yeah. Um, so you said you picked up baseball or for high school baseball your junior year? No, I actually picked it up my senior year. I played it. I went out my senior year. My football coach, Kenny Brace, who was a pretty well-respected coach in the area, he saw me throwing uh, the football on for the football team. And then he asked me, Mike, would you ever consider playing baseball? And I said, yeah, I'll consider playing baseball. I played baseball before. He goes, wait, you've been in high school this whole time and you never played baseball. Why? Why not? I said, because I've been running track and field. So I actually had to go tell Dr. Negro, who was my track and field coach, that I wasn't going to run my senior year. So these two got into a fight because of it. The two coaches, they were like, wait, you're taking one of my best track athletes and you're going to transition him to baseball when he played no high school baseball. And um, he was like, yeah. So um, there was another assistant coach that kind of kind of helped me get up to speed. But I hadn't seen a ball thrown at me probably since like the seventh or eighth grade. And um, yeah. And then um it's just amazing how it happened. I end up being the leadoff hitter. I end up playing in the senior all-star game. I end up, you know, being one of the top players in the county. And I skipped five years of baseball. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. And um, I ended up playing American Legion, traveling, and all these types of things. And that's where these scouts identified my athletic ability. Yeah. Do you, do you regret doing track and wish you, wishing you played baseball those other five years? No, no, not at all, because it's actually helped me become a pretty good trainer. Um, I would never uh, lose those years um, of becoming who I am today. Um, some of these things that I've learned are helping, you know, some of my clients and even my son, James, who is turning out to be a pretty good athlete. Um, so the track and field experiences is, is teaching him how to run better and become a better athlete, as well as some of the athletes that I've trained for the Nats, um, some of the athletes that I've trained in high school and in college. So that knowledge is power. And anytime you can use, um, your knowledge to help other people is extremely beneficial. Mm. So, so how did your college baseball career begin? Um, my college baseball career actually began um, in actually junior college. Um, I started out at a junior college called Montgomery College because there were a lot of guys who got drafted out of this junior college. So um, with, you know, um, actually assistance from Mike Toomey, he said, hey, Mike, you might want to try junior college out instead of going to three years first um, and then trying to get drafted, you might want to try this out first. And um, there were a lot of guys like him, like Jerry Wargo, like um, Ron Rizzi, uh, Ty Brown. A lot of these pro scouts were in the area. And I went to Montgomery College because it was the top ranked junior college baseball program, one of them in the country. And I played. I played with a bunch of guys who got drafted just like me, who were just as good as me, if not better. 
and um, I played there. So I played there for two years, and then um, I went down to the Southern Maryland camp, and a guy saw me run, hit, and throw, and he called a college coach for me and got me into college on a full ride, which baseball players never get a full ride. But um, I was blessed to get a full ride, and um, that's where I got drafted out of. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Were there were there any notable names that you you played with in high school or college or like even just friends you played with in little league or any of that or? Well, I I will tell you that I played with um, a good friend of mine, Curtis Pride, and Curtis Pride was the first deaf major league baseball player who's ever played. Well, not ever played in the big leagues, but. Uh, played for the Montreal Expos, and me and Curtis actually used to train together um, at a place called Aspen Hill Racquet Club with another good friend of mine, Keith Gordon, who actually played for the Cincinnati Reds, and we would all train together um, there to prepare for our seasons. Um, Curtis Pride is a an extremely... Um, gifted athlete he actually played soccer in china as a u14 player and he is now the coach for gallaudet university which is a deaf college in washington dc yeah wow um so when you told me briefly about um you playing college baseball and uh, the rumors of a transfer coming to play your position and everyone all the guys uh, <clears throat> like pulling your tail about, oh, he's taking your spot. So, like, tell me a little more about that and just your mindset and that whole situation and some advice for, uh, you know, young players uh, who are going through similar situations like that. Well, you know, one thing you got to have in sports is tough skin. Um, being in a locker room full of men um, that pretty much talk smack, which we call it all the time. Um, they know how to get into your thoughts. And if you can't control your thoughts, then your thoughts control you. And um, growing up in New, New York City and not really from an affluent family, um, I've learned to do without. And when you are in the mindset of learning to do without, you know, some things really don't bother you. You know, when you when you grow up around um, individuals who are not, quote unquote, living by the system, they're just trying to find any means to survive. You learn to excuse some things. And what I mean by that is you learn to excuse what they say around you. You will learn to excuse what you see in front of you and you got to kind of block things out. Well. Yeah, I've learned to block things out at a very early age. And once you learn to do that, certain things just don't bother you. So I do remember them bringing in a, another center fielder with my same talent and my same competitive level. And one thing that I learned how to do was to embrace it and learn to not take things personal like he meant it to happen this way. 
because each program is trying to get better by the athletes they're trying to bring in. Well, I didn't want to do anything to Lewis, who was coming in, you know, I, you know, I celebrated him with open arms. And we actually became pretty good friends. Um, and in fact, I used to have to drive down to St. Mary's County to pick him up. And he came from the same type of, you know, background as me, except his was in the country and mine was in the city. So we shared our experiences and, you know, we, we became competitive. We actually competed to see who the best hitter was, who the best pitcher was, who the, you know, and we had our own little swag about ourselves. But between all that competition and all that camaraderie, we made our team better. And how we handled it was, hey, when I was at shortstop, he was in center field. You know, when he was on the mound, I was at shortstop. You know, the coach learned to maneuver things to make us work together. But um, my mindset was be the best I could be and be the best version of myself and control what I can control. I can't mm -hmm. control Lewis. I can't control Coach Palumbo. I can control me. And that's what I did. And I end up being one of the top players in our conference and um, was awarded the Coca-Cola Award for being one of the you know top athletes in the area. So um, Lewis got some awards too. Um, we're still friends to this day. And um, we actually still talk smack to each other in terms of uh, what he was better at me at, and what I was better at him at, and, uh, things like that. So things always work out, you know, and um, there's always a plan for your life. If you just sit back, relax and be patient and think about how things are going to help you rather than hurt you, um, you'll learn some pretty important things in life. Yeah, that's <clears throat> interesting. So, um, talked a little bit about your college baseball. Um, so did, did you, when you were playing <clears throat> college baseball, did you have plans of going to the MLB or getting drafted or did that kind of just happen? Yeah, I think you need to take one thing at a time. Um, like I said, obviously, um, I started getting all these pro cards when I was very young, but, um, I really didn't start getting attention until I went to a conference championship and um, this guy was at a fence. I remember getting up at bat and I seen a guy at a fence with a watch in his hand. And it was so funny now that I reflect upon it. Um, I end up hitting a ball down left field line right over third base and um, I remember coming out of the box like extremely fast, like a hard 90. Like I was rounding first base like <laughs> I was running after a like a pit bull was running after me. And um, I'll never forget getting to second base and having my hands like on my waist and looking back at the fence. And he wasn't there. But then when I looked at the dugout, from my coach, he was talking to my coach. And it, it blew my mind that he was looking at his watch and he was talking to my coach. And I guess my coach was giving him feedback about me and who I was and things like that. 
after get, you know getting on the bus going back home um that that's when i knew that something was going on and uh my coach gave me actual information of um me being invited down to the university of richmond for a cross checker camp where the the guy who really makes the decisions you know you got your area scouts and things like that who do write ups but then they do all their write-ups and send it to their cross-checker. The cross-checker, you know, observes the information, then sends it to his boss. And that's when they all come out to one area to observe the athletes who they're taking um, notes on. And then when you get there, that's when you really got to show your action amongst guys who are just as good as you, if not better. And that's what's that's when some of these some of these young boys don't understand. Um, all they're doing is building a pot to make the environment more competitive to really get to see your talent. Yeah, um, yeah you're being compared to guys who are three years ahead of you rather than who you are right now. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, so did did you like? So when after this showcase or whatever in Richmond, um, how far? How like the time? Like just to give us a little perspective, like how how f- far was that from the draft? Like in time wise? Oh, that was literally um, my season probably ended in May, and you know the draft is in June, so um, data is starting to be computed quickly. So. Back then, it was paper and pen. Yeah. Now, it's computer. It's immediate. Yeah. You get immediate uh, immediate knowledge. So um, with that respect, um, it took a little bit more time to get information to their boss and things like that, where now it takes literally five minutes. And um, it was probably about, a month out from the actual draft um, that that was happening because, you know, they want to wait till after conference championships are over, after the College World Series is over, you know, and those things take time for them to really observe athletes. Um, And, you know, when I went down, it was probably a hundred of us uh, running the 60, hitting, things like that. Um, And then you go from there. Yeah. Oh, uh, that's crazy. I was just so close and everything happened so fast. Um, so take us through draft day and just everything that was going on, like with the, within those couple of days and what you were doing, phone calls and all that. Um, well, to be honest with you, you know, that day for me, I didn't get drafted on the first or second day. I didn't get drafted until the third day. Mm-hmm. Um, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta remember there were a lot more draft picks then. Um, this COVID thing has just destroyed kids, you know, dreams in terms of playing even you know minor league ball because they've limited it to five picks. Where back when I was playing, there was, you know, over 80 picks. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and there were a lot more minor league systems and things like that. So the game has changed dramatically. But on that specific day, to go back to your question, it was a regular day for me. After I didn't hear my first, my first day, second day, I was like, okay, I'm not getting drafted. I didn't even watch TV. I was hanging out with my girlfriend, like celebrating the day, going to get ice cream and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, like I I guess I was going to end up a free agent. You know, I didn't even get on the phone and call the call the scout. I didn't do anything like that. And I think actually it helped me tremendously because I didn't want to sit up there and worry about anything, you know. Um, so. Uh, my day was going about the way it is. Uh, we went out and got a bite to eat, got some ice cream. And then I came home and I got this note that said, hey, Billy Swoop called you. And I was like, okay, I'll call Billy Swoop. So it's funny. Like I went upstairs to the room to make the call and then everybody huddled at the door. And I was like, why is everybody huddled at the door? So, you know, I was like, Billy, hey, Mike Gibson, how you doing? And I was like, hey, Billy, what's up, my man? You know, just talk to him like he's a regular dude. And he was like, Mike, I got great news for you. And I was like, yeah. (laughs) I mean, I took it just like that. He was like, you got drafted. And I was like, okay, wow, I got drafted. I said, okay, what does this mean? (laughs) Like, where am I going? (laughs) You know, and he was like, Mike, um, you got to drive down here to Richmond to sign your contract. Um, And immediately right there, I was like, okay, I don't know what I'm doing. At that time, I didn't have an agent. I didn't, you know, I I really didn't understand the processes, but my buddy Curtis Pride did. Mm -hmm. So immediately after I hung up the phone with him, everybody was jumping up and down and I, I was scared to death. I was like, okay, I really don't know what I'm doing here. So, I got off the phone and I pick up the phone and call Curtis Pride's dad. And um, he immediately started giving me advice. You're not driving there. You're not going by yourself. I'm going with you. You know, these guys are trying to pull your leg. <laughs> you know, he went into the whole thing because he'd been through that experience with Curtis. And, um, and he gave me guidance through the whole thing. Um, and one thing I negotiated was the fact that major league baseball had to give me a certain amount of money to finish my college degree, which Mm -hmm. I was very happy to do because when baseball ended for me, I utilized that money to, um, get my degree from the university of Maryland college park. So, um, yeah, that draft day was that draft day. I could tell you another day is me getting to that airport in Arizona and seeing, every baseball player that looked like a baseball player was extremely bigger than me. How about that? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, that day in itself was an experience to say the least. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. Um, So when, when you were going out, you know, just like a normal day um, and you kind of just said, like, you kind of just assumed you weren't getting drafted. What was your plan for the future? Did you have one or were you just like kind of going day by day? Oh, no, no, no. I was going to college. Um, I will tell any athlete that the level of education 
and the knowledge and experiences that you receive in college are far better than, um, I wouldn't say going to the league, but getting a shot. Um, if, you know, obviously an athlete now, depending on how, you know, early he's going in the draft, will have some things to weigh. But for me, um, I knew I was going back to college to get my degree um, because I just knew that for my future um, and who I am in today's society, that education is essential for your success. Um, I think sometimes people spend too much time um, hoping and wishing for things to happen that never come true without dealing with the realities that are set before them. And um, that's why I believe that everybody needs a coach whether it's a life coach, whether it's a, um, you know, trainer or someone that can help them guide them besides their parents, guide them through the way of what they're going through and someone that they can relate to. Um, they should always have somebody that's going to tell them the honest truth about what is happening around them. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's that's great advice. Um, so when when you were uh, you know you got drafted, you did you went did you go straight to the the minor leagues or single A? Double oh, a? well, I went to short season ball, and um, and that is in the New York Penn League, and um, I stayed there for a number of years, and where I really began the blossom was in spring trainings. Now, one thing you have to honestly ask yourself is how much money do they have invested in you? And they didn't have a lot of money invested in me. And you got to see who is before you. So in the outfield in for the Chicago Cubs um, at that time was Carl Tuffy Rhodes, um, Sammy Sosa, and Glenn Allen Hill. Now, these three guys who are absolute dogs, studs, was not going anywhere anytime soon. And they had guys like me, Demetrius Dowler, um, other guys like that who were, you know, pretty good in, you know, spring training, but we didn't have the contract money that these guys had. So, you know, we got our shots and, you know, playing in spring training against these guys and things like that. but you got to come to a reality and saying, okay, am I going to spend the rest of my life here doing this and competing against these guys who got these massive contracts, or am I going to make an adjustment to my life? And ultimately we had to make decisions. And me and Demetrius, we actually talk about it to this day about, mm -hmm. you know, we're at the wrong place in the wrong time, but you know, we got our shot, you know, um, so many things have to go right for you rather than wrong for you during these experiences. And in fact, you know, we got a chance to be in a movie major league too. We got, we, we got chances to um, actually, you know, celebrate in some of the finest places in the world. And 
California. You know, I had chances to hang out with Deion Sanders and Michael Jordan and, you know, uh, hang out with Marquise Grissom, who I'm actually going to see in August. Um, Just things like that. Uh, You can't change my experience in terms of what I saw and who I actually, you know, slap fives with and hug out with. Um, and I could share some pretty eventful stories <laughs> about guys you see on TV who are clearly different from what they are in a private setting. <laughs> yeah. How about that? Um, but go ahead. Um, yeah, so, I mean, that's crazy. Michael Jordan, Deion Sanders, like celebrities, countless celebrities. So, but, you know, back to – what it was like, but what it was like playing under guys like Sammy Sosa and them. So when you did get called up, like what, what was that like? And was it, was it because of an injury where did someone get cut? It's it's always because of something to that extent. Um, Unless, like I say, you're a high contract guy and um, you know, those experiences speak for themselves. And you, you also got to remember that you only have, um, a certain amount of options um so you can actually get called up you know go in the outfield and get called right back down you you know you you don't generally have to um get a hit and to that sad extent i didn't have an opportunity to do that you know you get called up you can get three innings and then they send you back down because of an option because of someone else uh, like my buddy Keith Gordon, he got called up for a weekend. He got six at bats and he never saw that again. Um, so a lot of people don't understand the decision you have to make um, that quick in terms of your future because no one promises you anything. Yeah. No one. You can actually spend 13 years in AAA and never get called up. Yeah. And, um, that's a sad experience for a lot of ball players, and um, it, it's reality. So after I had that experience, um, I made the decision to, you know, say, okay, this is not working out for me, and um, I made the decision to stop. Mm-hmm. Um, you you can't you can't waste your life running after things that are not a clear picture. Um, don't get me wrong. So a lot of guys get drafted out of high school and they go. So therefore they had more years to develop where other guys that get drafted out of college, they're not given that many years to develop. And you think about now of what's going on now, um, me just speaking to a scout while I was in Alabama. Um, the organization released like 30 guys in a day. And there's no other place for them. So their careers just ended. Because if every organization just released 30 guys and they drafted six guys, you know it's not a place for you, right? Mm-hmm. And they've eliminated, they eliminated at least 42 teams in the minor league system. Really? So that's where it is. Wow. Um, so what, what was your, you said you had 
didn't have many opportunities in the majors, but so what, but what were your opportunities? <clears throat> did you get, did you get any starts, any playing time, any at bats, anything like that? No starts, no starts, uh, <coughs> a couple innings in the outfield and in late games and that's it in Philadelphia <coughs> and that's it. Um, um, that you got to understand it's a business. And at first, you know, things bother you, but you you learn to live with it and those experiences. And like I told you before, most of my time was in spring training where I really got to compete. Um, and the fact I have a friend right now who's going through that experience right now is in AAA for the Dodgers, who I help. And um, he gets a lot of minor league time, but when it's time to start the season, the guys that have a lot of money invested in them, those are the ones who get the shot. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. Do you think there's just like a myriad of people or a myriad of players that just could be so successful in the league that just don't get an opportunity? Oh, without a doubt. Um, I could I could speak on about 10 of them. That I know personally. So one thing, when they draft you, you are good enough to make it to the big leagues. That's why they draft you. It's just all about performance. It's about performance. And nobody feels sorry for you. It's a business. You got to perform to play. And there's no daddy ball. There's none of that stuff um, involved. It's all about performance. And until you can prove yourself consistently, it's not about whether you have the talent, it's about consistent performance, is whether you stay or whether you go. Mm-hmm. Period. Yeah. You know, and, and everybody's about business. Done. And I yeah. think that's why the guys ask for that much money, because once they've proven themselves, they want security in the fact that, okay, if this ends, I have enough money to live off of till I decide what I want to do again. Yeah. And being around those guys in the locker room with the Nats, <clears throat> when I had time to, excuse me, um, had time to work with them, these guys are all about business. I mean, don't get me wrong, there's joke time, but at the end of the day, it's all about business. They're in the training room early. They're on the field early. They're taking care of their bodies because their bodies are worth money. Um, they're practicing their skill. And then they're taking that skill to the game to perform because that data determines how much money they get paid and how good their contracts look for the following year. But before we get into the, your experiences with the Nats and training and all that, uh, just, I mean, you've told me the story about your cut day and your interactions with the coaches a couple of times, but, but for the audience, could you just uh, tell that story again? Cut day, spring training, sit me down in the locker room amongst all the coaches and say, hey, Mike, you know we love you as a person. Um, We think you add such value and get along with your teammates and, you know, the camaraderie you build in the locker room. However, you know, you know, this is a business and, you know, we got to create room for other athletes that we can look for. So unfortunately, this is going to have to be your last day with us. And we hope 
you know, all the best from you and your future endeavors. We think you're a good ball player. Um, you just have to prove that more, more often on the field. Um, so we congratulate you and playing with us. However, we have to move on. And I shook their hand, gave them a hug and said, hey, man, I, I enjoyed the experience. And, and that's all you can say. Period. Um, you you pack your locker up in your bag. Um, you go back to your hotel room. Um, they give you your flight ticket and you're back home. <laughs> that's it. Um, you can make some other arrangements if you chose to, if you drove or things like that. I was in Kissimmee at the time in extended spring training, and um, that was it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so what, what was your plan after you got released? You said you wanted to move on because it just Well, didn't... no. Well, you know, I had money. I had money to uh, complete my degree. So what I did is I applied at the University of Maryland. I actually had to go down and take a summer course to, you know, prove that I could handle the rigor of their courses. I took a math class, which was extremely hard once you've been out of school for a number of years. Mm-hmm. And um, I took uh, one of the assessments. I think I got like a C plus on it. Um, and, uh, I went to the office of kinesiology and human anatomy, physiology, and applied, um, admissions accepted me with my transfer credits from my other school. And I started school in the fall and it took me about a year and a half. I graduated. Um, I got a job as a teacher. In fact, they hired me while I was in school. And um, I went and got my master's degree and uh, started becoming a teacher and coaching and training athletes. And uh, based off of the connections that I had, I got certified as a trainer, um, something called a certified strength and conditioning specialist, and uh, used some of my baseball connects to get me back in baseball. And I was back down in spring training as a, as a trainer. <laughs> So baseball couldn't get rid of me because I was back down there in the big leagues training, you know, professional athletes, some of the top athletes in the world. <laughs> and yeah. I fit right in. I fit right back in. You know, they were like, oh, Gib is, Gib is training, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yeah. So let's fast forward a little bit um, to when you're working with the Nats and how did you get that job? What like, What specifically were you doing with them? Uh, you know, like what, like, yeah, like what, what was your role? Well, a buddy of mine who is one of the top trainers in the world, um, he always kept us included in what he was doing. And he trained me while I was an athlete and, uh, he, um, asked me to come down to help him once he got the job. And he knew that I was a baseball player and how I would be around the guys. 
how I wouldn't be like asking for their autographs. I mean, when you're in the locker room with some of these guys who are making a significant amount of money, you know, you know how to act around them, you know? Um, and I was just being one of the guys and knowing how to strength train and knowing how to make my way around the locker room wasn't an issue. And, um, you know, I would get up in the morning in in Melbourne, you know, go to the facility, you know, do a little workout myself, you know, have an omelet or whatever the case may be, eat, and then I would start training the athletes who are coming in, whether it's physician, player, pitcher, whoever. Uh, we would stretch them first and then take them through the sequence that was on the board. Um, and then after that, we would record their data, put their card back in the box, and then start with the new athlete. So we would do that from about 7.30 a.m. until about 8, 9 o'clock at night after the game. And that happened every day. Um, so I did that during spring trainings. And then I would come back home, actually, and do my teaching job, and then you know, I would go down to the park periodically to help John out down at Nats Park, but um, I would do it over the next spring training. So once those guys are out on the road, they really don't need a trainer or anything. They just need to maintain their bodies. Yeah. So, you know, once you're a professional athlete, you know how to take care of yourself. So um, from that perspective, you know, we wasn't needed so much during the season. Yeah. Wow, I mean that's really, really cool. A lot of all the way from uh, you know, one year of high school baseball to somehow getting into college baseball with just one year of high school baseball and getting scouted, minor league and major leagues, getting opportunities, then even going back there years later, training with them and the nationals and all of that, and even coaching uh high school baseball players nowadays, college baseball players, professional baseball players. It's just, it's a lot. And I mean, it's really impressive, especially, you know, coming from like just New York city and just not even playing baseball, um, you know, foot, also football track, being a track star, you know, it's, it's a lot. And, um, you know, thank you for, um coming and you know being on the the show for the first episode um i appreciate that a lot and it was really interesting hearing all this stuff but you know i mean one one final question that i've always kind of wondered but i never really had any anybody to ask this like or I, anybody with enough experience to answer this question like if you're if you're comparing um baseball baseball between now and when you played like, what are some of the similarities and differences? Like, do you think, like, just as one final question, like, do you think a player like Barry Bonds would have the same success in today's game as he did, or maybe even more success? Or, like, a player like Mike Trout, do you think he would have the same success uh, in the 80s and 90s as he does today? Um, I really think Barry Bonds would be successful no matter what era he was in. Um, you really got to consider who these guys were raised around. So Willie Mays is 
Barry Bonds' godfather. Willie Mays, the greatest outfielder that's ever played the game. One of the, he had 600 home runs. Can you imagine being raised by Willie Mays? Okay. And then he grew up in the locker room of big league ball players. Yeah. Um, and then his father was a great baseball player. Um, Bobby Bonds was one of the great, greatest baseball players of his era. So, you know, when he woke up or when he came out of the womb, there was a baseball player in his, a baseball in his crib. I mean, his athletic prowess speaks for itself in terms of Mike Trout. Mike Trout is a monster. Like he could perform wherever he is as well. I mean, the guy runs a six, three. 60 he's 230 pounds and he's like 6'2 full of muscle it, it it wouldn't matter where he was as long as he was given the same culture and environment to grow like you know every other athlete does for me the game has changed because the game is much more advanced now because of data analytics and video um, kids are have the access to learn things at an earlier age because they was able to slow down um, mechanics and learn a baseball swing or learn how to throw properly. But I think success has to do with the mind and the heart. You can have all those things and not be able to handle pressure while you're on the bump or in the batter's box. And that's where a true athlete shows himself. You could be 6'3", 225 pounds full of muscle, and not have the confidence to get things done. Where Barry Bonds and Mike Trout, regardless of the environment, they're going to perform. They believe in themselves. They have confidence in themselves. So, yes, I think the changes that the the game has changed because of analytics, but the game hasn't changed too much in whether you have the heart or not. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah. Um, and and so- well, one other thing is athletes got access to training their bodies a little bit better. They lift weights at an earlier age right now. If you look at the baseball athlete, they were kind of country strong back when I was playing, where now they look muscly and built up and um, things like that. Yeah. Well, uh, thank you for being the first episode and being on the show. Uh, It was really interesting hearing – uh, you know, your life story and some of your opinions on like current topics and all that. Um, and, uh, I really appreciate you coming on. Okay. Thank you. You have a great day and I appreciate, um, the opportunity to be the first episode. Thank you.